Welcome to Boost Power Podcast. Inspiration, insights, and ideas for your business and your journey. Welcome to Boost Power Podcast. I'm your host, Betsy Wiersma. Today is the first day of the rest of your life and the people, places, and things you choose, you attract, you hear, you put into your soul will make a difference for you. And that is why we're here. We are so blessed today to be with Tasha Jones. When I first met her in a coffee shop, you know, you say it's the love at first sight kind of thing. When you meet somebody who's on fire, who's super funny, fun, high energy, all the things I love the best. Tasha, we are honored to have you on Boost Power Podcast. I am honored to be here. You know, we've been working on getting a date locked in for us to have this one-on-one time together. And so no time like the present, but thank you, Betsy. I'm just so happy to just be able to, I don't know, just chew the fat with you. I know. Chew the fat would be something my mother would say. So (laughs) my mom has passed two years ago, but I have all these momism sayings, you know, Mm-hmm. Like uh, dumber than a box of rocks, right? My mom would say something like that, or yeah. or chew the fat. And you think like, I don't ever remember chewing fat growing up. Where did chew the fat come from? But you know, it's probably one of those old uh, colloquial. Probably yes. said that wrong. Colloquial isms. Um, but yes, well, welcome. Well, I want to jump to the end, but I don't want to deprive everyone of starting where we always start. So the purpose mm-hmm. of Boost Power Podcast is to really go back and say like. Uh, who was Tasha growing up? What were some of the choice points or the influences that really made you who you were? And sometimes we learn that some of the things that were hard actually, as we're grownups, were blessings because resilience or because we learned about things. So I love to tell these stories so people listening can hear in us and our stories, their story, and they can feel uplifted and inspired and ready to rock. So tell me a little bit about the young Tasha, you know, the environment you grew up in and, you know, how that prepared you to be this amazing entrepreneur. Sure, sure. So I love that you use the word resilience because I'd say that my story is really defined by precisely that. I grew up in Fort Collins, Colorado, which is in northern, the northern part of Colorado, just about uh, like 55 miles north of Denver. And I grew up in a single parent household where my dad and my um, cousins and aunts and uncles lived in Denver, but then my mom and I, we lived in Fort Collins and grew up pretty low income. I think um, easily I could say we moved to a new apartment every year of um, of my schooling. So every year I was like living somewhere new. And I think what that that foundation that that established in me is just the resilience and making new friends, um, finding commonality with neighbors. Um, but also I think just the resilience and growing up in a really homogenous, predominantly white community, um, college town that also gave me this aspiration to want to aspire to achieve what seemed to be like a really cool way to live was to be a college student, <laughs> just kind of observing that. And my mom had different, worked at different jobs on campus. Um, and so I'd have exposure just seeing students and being committed to pursuing their academic career. So I'd say like my resilience really came from always 
having to be adaptable and starting new. And I think also just finding like, how can I be really good at school? How can I be really good at sports? How can I be really engaged in clubs or student council? So it was this foundation of always wanting to be part of community and feel connected. Well, so did you see more diversity in the student population? Because I would feel like, like I'm just relating to Purdue University. We had an incredible diverse campus because we had so many Asian students that came for engineering to Purdue. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I grew up in a very homogenous community in Indianapolis, Indiana in in the 60s and 70s. But when I got to Purdue, it was so awesome because there were so many, you know, and they even had clubs and activities and all kinds of international centers and, and all kinds of diversity. Did you see more as you were on campus than just in the local community? I love that you asked the story that way. I think that was one of the, I mean, I think universities are so incredible for like being at the intersection, not just of like thought and, and exchange of ideas, but just bringing so many different people from different parts of life and lived experiences. And so for the few black families in Fort Collins, we would always like come together with the, you know, helping the black students that would come to, to CSU. So at the time when I was growing up, I want to say that the African-American population at CSU was 13%, which um, when you look at Colorado as a whole, like that, that's kind of, that's interesting. Like a college could have a larger concentration of um, African-American students on campus by comparison to the state as a whole. Do you know what I'm saying? And so, um, so yes, to your point, like that was, one of the things that was so nice, like my aunt, my paternal aunt actually got her undergrad and master's from CSU and she founded Black Student Services at CSU. Oh, cool. that was really, you know, instrumental in just having that connection and knowing like that's where the Black families in Fort Collins could come together and support the Black students coming to this town where they didn't see a lot of people who looked like them. So it was really fun being around these older students, like very committed to their academics, also having fun in college and just being this little kid who'd look up saying, I want to do this someday. And then, and I remember those college students saying, well, you will go to college and then you'll do this someday. Yeah. That's so cool. That's such a good a good story because I think, you know, we, we say, okay, well, that was weird. You know, I was, I was in a community that didn't, a lot of people didn't look like me. However, what an opportunity to be with your aunt and to see this, that everybody can make a difference and all, everybody can find a way to serve. And then this was an opportunity actually, because you could do something super cool. And the legacy of founding that I'm sure lives forever. Forever. Um, Forever yeah. and ever, you know. Vivian and- Kerr, Vivian Kerr is still honored to this day for having founded Black Student Services at Colorado State University. See, I love those stories. So, okay, so you were that kid. You you had the opportunity for personal growth of moving around. Um, I could only relate that to my dad got a wild hair because he was an entrepreneur, you know, and always struggled. And then a big corporation hired him. So he drug our family to Michigan for one year of training and to North Carolina. And I think I would relate that I was very foreign in Statesville, North Carolina. I was from the North. I had a weird 
accent. I had bell-bottom pants. They had skinny length pants. Mm-hmm. I had long hair. I had short hair. They had long hair. You know, all y'all. I was like, what? You know, <laughs> I did not fit. And I was super smart. So they hated that. So I had incredible, I was an incredible outcast in, gosh, that was like fourth grade, a terrible time. And they said, Yankee, go home. <laughs> I'm like, thank you. Nice to meet you too. My dad's yeah, you on a never forget that. You never forget that. Like that. And I think for me, that was one of the things, certainly being an only in a class or in a school of like a few um, kids who looked like me. And just, yes, the, the, you know, I grew up since, I remember since kindergarten, every year there'd be some kid who would like use the N-word on me. Um, and so I think that uh, I learned really early, like how you make people feel that they never forget. Like you never forget those kids saying that to you in fourth grade. You were what, nine? Yeah. But like you 10. remember it like it was yesterday. And so I think like that was, you know, again, talk about resilience. Like how do you make people feel? I mean, I can still get a little teary-eyed thinking of still moment, certain moments where, um, you know, being ostracized because I didn't look like everyone else and finding my way, again, that resilience of, all right, like, mom, how do I navigate this? What does this mean? That didn't feel great. Um, okay, well, I'm basically growing up an only child. I know how to play by myself. I know how to hang by myself. But also finding commonality with friends who didn't see, um, like, a difference at the heart of, like, they certainly saw, like, my cultural difference and embraced that, but didn't see, like, well, I see that we both like to run track or I see that we both like to, yeah. What, what do we have? We have so much in common. Although I think fourth graders and fifth graders, you know, they're not at the emotional level. They liked you because they liked your Barbies and they liked playing at your house because your mom made good cookies. And, you know, there were all those weird measurements of success for a fourth grader. And uh, I, I remember they would never pick me for their teams. That would be their thing. I would be standing there for the kickball and I'd always be the last one because nobody would pick the Yankee. Yeah. The Yankee. I mean, yeah. And, and it was real. I didn't really think about it much till talking to you, but it was real. And so what did I do? I started painting and doing art, which became a habit of mine. That's the place I have always gone. And I really didn't think about that until now that that is really when it started that I was like, okay, God, I'll just hang out with you. (laughs) We'll go to my room and paint mushrooms on the wall. It'll be all good. I'll entertain myself. You know, it's, I would say like for me in fourth grade, I was most, I was moved by the way my classmates showed up in a situation, talk about getting selected, where um, I remember the, the fourth grade teacher would sit at a certain, like certain day, she'd sit at the head of the class and read a book. And she was determining, she was determining who would get to pick the book that day. And so she decided to do a little jingle that she learned in the South. And she said, eeny, meeny, miny, mo." catch an N-word by the toe. And she said it in front of like the whole class. And here I was just sitting at my desk, like looking kind of, wow. Wow. (laughs) And I remember my classmates just went silent. Yeah. And I remember one of my close friends, Vanessa, said, that's not nice. Thank you, Vanessa. Thank you, Vanessa. Uh, You know, and, and, 
And then other kids were uncomfortable with it. They were just yeah. like, yeah, yeah, they knew. And so yeah. I just remember the rallying up against authority saying, See? that's not nice. But yeah. fourth grade, they knew, they knew. Yeah, they, they knew. knew better. But I think kids don't, I don't think, I don't think kids are born to, to see anything but our hearts. I mean, I still, I have the habit of, I can tell you more about, I can't tell you if you lost or gained 20 pounds. You know, people are like, oh, oh you look God. good. You're like, I can't because I was always the weird kid. I was either weird because I was from the North. I was weird because I was creative. I was weird because I was just always saving the world. They always thought I was a weirdo, weirdsma, weirdo, weirdsma. Mm. You know, I was Bessie the cow because I was chubby. So I was like, okay, you guys knock yourself out. You know, I'd like, I couldn't get peer love because I didn't ever have the things that the peers thought were cool. So I had to be like, I'm just going to be so awesome. You're going to just want to hang around with me, you know, and I head into, into doing the float and running for the offices and doing all the stuff of service. Then people would be like, well, I guess that chubby girl's okay. <laughs> I feel like, well, and that's what I know oh, of well. you, Betsy, like your heart is, you just, you care for everyone, all walks and you'll, go to the ends of the earth to just help them feel supported and heard and encouraged. That's what I know of you. And so, you know, we're talking about like how our, our early humble beginnings to find us to just, just to care, just to care yeah. for others. Yeah. And it's funny, you just brought that through me and I hadn't thought about it for such a long time, but it's, it's interesting to, to um, share that in common. We were still yeah. the crazy kids and we still are today. We're going to go to break really fast. I know you don't want us to go to break because you're like, I want more Tasha. You're going to get her in a minute. We're going to break. This is Boost Power Podcast. You are listening to Boost Power Podcast with your host, Betsy Weersma. We are part of the Global Sisterhood Podcast Network women who amplify their voices and are committed to inspiring all people with podcasts on purpose. Enjoy these true stories and proven business tips for your business and your life. Now, back to Boost. Okay, we're back. Well, that was fun because usually um, I don't have such a visceral reaction uh, to a shared story, but I could... I could sit there in that classroom with you um, because I've been in that classroom with you. And so uh, I think the thing that I consider such a gift is all of that has allowed you to be the Tasha of today. Mm -hmm. um, and so I just want people to hear, I don't want to, you know, this isn't like a interview about your past work, you know, that's sure. not about it, but I want you to take everybody through a little bit of this kid that aspired to go to school who now is like, you know, an incredible person running Denver, Colorado, one of the 25 most powerful women, honored, awarded, and all these big jobs. So take everybody from that kid oh, wow. to today and just give us a couple of things along the way. Like, did you actually go back to college there? And then um, what was your trajectory? Good word, mm -hmm. trajectory. Um, and then I, I want to save the end for just tomorrow because everything is so exciting. Sure, sure. I'm happy to answer that and I'll try to be succinct. Yeah, just give succinct. us some sections yeah. for people to track it a little. Yeah, yeah. So remember, I talked about how I knew early on that college was something I wanted to do. Didn't understand why or what was important about it, but I knew I wanted to. And then 
also my aunt was very instrumental in getting the funding for there to be the Colorado State Upward Bound program. And so it's this program for first-generation college students, because again, my mom hadn't gone to college, hadn't completed college, nor had my father. So I was going to be the first in my immediate family to go on to college. And so I did this program from my sophomore year through the summer after my senior year, where I would spend, you know, six weeks at CSU on campus, going to classes that they set up for us, you know, that we could get credits to go to our high school credits. And I did that. And I knew like doing that every summer, I knew that I could comfortably do this college thing. Went to Drake University to study journalism and mass communications, was always encouraged. So I went to Des Moines, Iowa to study to be a broadcaster. And I remember thinking like, I'm doing everything they said to do, right? Checking the box. I did upward bound. They taught me to go to college. I got into the school and I'm going to be this journalist. I got hired at a news station. I was going to work my way up. And I got hired at the news station. Like I got an internship my junior year and then had got hired my senior year. And then it was literally like a month or two after graduation. They got bought out by a big, you know, newspaper conglomerate. And then I got let go. And I just remember thinking, wait, what? Like I did everything I was supposed right. to I do. I did it all right. I did it. I'm yeah. doing it. And uh, and one of the things when I was in college, I contemplated switching my major to advertising and marketing. But I, I knew I was like, no, you finish what you started. Do not switch your major. You're graduating there in you four go. years. And so with that door closing to an illustrious career in broadcasting, that door completely closed in my mind. So then I pursued advertising and marketing and like worked for ad agencies, found my way back to Denver to work for another ad agency called um, Craigie Newell or not Craigie Newell. Craigie Newell was in Des Moines. Carson Hagen was in Denver. Oh yeah. And they were under the energy group umbrella. And then, you know, just worked my way into working for, you know, a small private museum and marketing and then went to university of Denver and worked in, you know, again, marketing and peer. So just kept trying to build this acumen in that particular industry and learn from experts. And I'd say the real breakthrough happened when I decided to go into the real estate industry and work for a company, an industrial real estate investment trust. They specialized in warehousing and supply chain logistics. So think about when the pandemic we ran out of toilet paper and we ran out of all these things. There's a supply chain that happens that makes sure like, whether it's by port or by train or by airline, right? Yeah. In a normal world, the supply chain works, right? The supply chain works. So I go work for this company where I learn all about supply chain and real estate. And um, so I worked at Prologis and I worked there under this gentleman named Rick Roth and their global marketing department. And I told him, I just want to learn the purity of brand. And he, was, he said to me, I will teach you. I will teach you branding. And he taught me how you can have consistency of brand globally. So here wow. we were, looking at Asia, Europe, North America, and, uh, and, he taught me how you could have consistency of brand. And I really had established this connection with all these different cultures because again, the resilience of being adaptable, knowing how to adjust to do different cultures, every hierarchy of the corporate structure, everyone in that corporate headquarters at Prologis, they knew me because I made it my business to connect to them and find out how to be 
of service in my role in Connect. And then presented this incredible opportunity from Prologis to go work for a large master real estate developer by the name of Forest City. And they were working on one of the largest urban infill projects of the former airport in Denver before there was Denver International Airport. This airport was once called Stapleton International Airport. They named the community to in, in light of this airport and it became later called Central Park after its crown jewel 80 acre park. But I went to go work on this project for 15 years. And it was so and dedicated defining. your life and defining. built the most beautiful. We we own a rental home there. It's uh, a beautiful, livable, well-designed, incredibly nationally, internationally known community. And behind it was Tasha Jones right there in the midst. Well, I certainly knew it was a unique opportunity Um one of the things about me, I am a tenacious interviewer. And so I did all my due diligence, all my research, and I knew this was the place I wanted to be. And I knew once I got selected and hired, I knew it was the place I wanted to grow. I wanted to see that project to completion as best I could. And so in my role, I got to be part of the marketing team and the community relations team and the government relations team. I just kept growing within that company because I was always at the table, always raising my hand, always working the long hours to just work hard and be of value and present strategic ideas. And I can tell you, it wasn't always easy doing that, Betsy. Like there were so many times where I wasn't being recognized because I wasn't enough for some reason, right? Like I didn't communicate the way that they thought, someone thought I should, or I wasn't doing, I was taking too many notes or I was, you know, and wasn't really offering ideas. And so I remember, again, remember my boss from Prologis, I reached out to him and I said, Rick, I feel like the same thing's happening to me when I worked under you. No, like no offense. Like clearly it's me. What do I need to be doing differently? And Rick started coaching me and just saying, here's how you're going to make sure that everyone knows that you're here to add value. So don't just sit and take notes in those meetings. Contribute strategic ideas. Show people that you can help contribute to the bottom line or to the growth or to the advancement. And so I would nervously sit there in those meetings and instead of like constantly transcribing what everyone was saying, I started to organize my thoughts in the upper right corner of the notepad. Nice. And I would pay attention to what were people were saying and what I, how, what I thought about that. And then I would only speak up to present a fluid thought, like based on my little outline in the corner. And then suddenly I started getting this response like, well, wait, I don't know, Tasha, what do you think? Like I started more and more yeah, being engagement. asked to contribute. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it just started to lead to recognition by the corporate office. And so by the time Forest City got to a point, you know, it was this 90 plus year old company. It was almost approaching its hundred years based out of Cleveland, Ohio. Um, it faced a point where it was getting acquired by a much larger company. And by the time that much larger company acquired for a city, I was a known commodity that even these folks coming in were then, well, wait, let's ask Tasha. Who's, who's this Tasha? Who's this Tasha yeah. chick? Nice. Yeah, but you go back though. I think that journalism training always helps because I was always a big public speaker kid 
And, you know, to be able to share your ideas, you were a journalist. You were doing research. You had fluid thought. You organized your thought. You, you told the story just like a good journalist. You know, you pursued yeah. the angle. You looked around. You know, I see. So I think that's where you go back. And I think, well, I might have been a weird, nerdy kid, but I got blue ribbons at this beach, you know, competition. Yeah. And today yeah. I can talk in front of the world and do podcasting and go to 20 countries and I'm never afraid. And, you know, so I think, again, a big God puts so many things in that we don't know at the time that always will bring fruit. And we just have to be open and then always say, what is the blessing? Even in things that are tough, what is the blessing? Okay. So then, so then you totally surpassed that opportunity and you were tapped by Mile High United Way to work with the CEO to be one of her top people. I remember I cried in joy because we have supported Mile High United Way for 16 years with the Camp Experience Network. We love Christine Bonero. I've made her personal pieces of art. I've been honored to be honored by them in a few ways. And, um, And then you had a stint kind of in the big world of the community, which I want to keep kind of short because I want to talk about the future. But what did you learn when you were at Mile High United Way in such a, a, you know, leadership position? Oh, my goodness. Talk about, you know, one of the things that was so remarkable about going to work for Mile High United Way and being tapped by their CEO, Christine Bonero, who is leading this organization that over the past 15 years has helped generate $350 million into the community across seven counties. I mean, this organization is a pillar and it's the first United Way. Ever, the very first. It's the flagship. And so to be part of that story- Started by a woman, by the way. Started by a woman. Francis Weisberg Jacobs, that's right. I know her. That's right. Francis Weisberg Jacobs. Know know that name. Um, And so it was- for me, this wonderful alignment, which we haven't really been able to talk about, but of my value in terms of, I'm, an, I'm a good marketer. I think really strategic. I connect the dots and I create structure and systems to, to help tell this dynamic marketing story, an integrated marketing process or department, like just an integrated marketing approach. And so to be able to align, bring that value to, you know, just just really this organization that was my passion to serve community. Like they serve community. I care about serving community. I can big on civic leadership. How can I do my part? And knowing that my purpose in life is to align myself with things that are about advancing women and youth and education. What better place to show up than Mile High United Way? Mile High United Way. Lucky me, like lucky all of us. Like it was just yeah. such a they have wonderful such a great team there. Yeah, everybody there is really awesome. Corey just got promoted. So happy. I love know. Corey. Just, Been with Corey 16 years. Yeah. So all good. Great people. Great people, heart of gold, and they are vested and committed to the, the Metro Denver area. Yeah. So you did that. And then I want to do like a drum roll. I wish I had a special effect. Um, But inside all this, because even when you were at um, working in real estate development, you and I met, I knew that there was a spark of something big, a a Tasha uh, dream to bring to the world. So tell them all about the new company. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So, you know, in 2017, I knew that my time on this project was coming to an end because you know, you build developments and then it's built and it's done. There's nothing more for you to market. And, and, um, and so I started working on this Tasha Vision 2020 
plan. Um, had no idea that a pandemic was coming, of course, but still, you know, even with the vision, I was able to course correct in the midst of a pandemic. And so I knew that I wanted to create something that I could still be of value to community, but also keep my foot in the real estate sector. So I was working on, I spent three years trying to develop this branding and, you know, my putting my thought leadership out there around a diversity marketing business and how I could help provide brands with this um, wider lens of how you can be authentically inclusive in telling stories about the diverse lives that choose to live in your community. Um, and so I started working on that. And that was one of the things that I was, I launched in January of 2021. I thought it would take me about three years to get it off the ground. And it ended up taking about six months. And I got to live in my must and lean all in. Christine was wonderfully gracious where I said, I know I've only been here for a little over a year. But I feel yeah. like I've had really good impact with this amazing team that you've blessed me with. They're going to run with this. And then I'm going to go run with my dream. And I launched LV Jones Consulting, which is a diversity marketing consulting firm here in Denver. And I've been really blessed to not just solely be limited to real estate, like being able to work with folks in the health sector and folks in education and, and nonprofits. And just, again, making sure I don't consider myself a DEI practitioner. So when that diversity, equity, and inclusion practitioner comes in and helps an organization operationalize that work, or if they've already been on that journey, committed to how are they hiring more diverse voices? How are they making sure they're at the table for leadership? How are they living and, and telling their story to their clients and customers? I then am really adept at being conscious of how to help brands tell their inclusive story with authenticity. Well, see, I'm seeing journalists, I'm seeing, you know, experience, all sides of the tracks, really living it. And then I'm seeing just that fire and passion that you have brought to all these roles that now as an entrepreneur since dirt that started my first business in fourth grade, you know, I can tell you there's nothing it? quite like, oh, I started selling bead, macrame bead bracelets in fourth grade with my friend, Mary. We had marketing, we had bracelets, we had colored beads, we made $40 profit. Then I started a corporation at Purdue where we co-opt the buying of paper goods for the fraternities and sororities. Oh After college, one of the guys in the seven of us that started it kept the business and it's a multi-million dollar business. We started it at Purdue. It's called student purchasing. That's amazing. Isn't that crazy? But it made sense. Great. It's like, why is every single sorority and fraternity purchasing their own toilet paper? What if we get everyone together and we'll just take 10% of the savings, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So we started co-oping purchasing at college. And then, you know, I started... Where's my, when I, after just a stint of working for someone else, you know, I started mine in suite two BR, the second bedroom of my home, suite two BR. They'd say, let's meet at your office. And I'd be like, uh, let's meet at the coffee shop. You know, <laughs> my office is my uh, condo. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So I just, I love you and I love to see this in you and I'm on your team, uh, you. any place I can help. Uh, and if art ever helps people get in touch with, you know, creativity and diversity, you let me know and I will be I your will. Uh, diversity you. art girl and we'll, we'll cook up a product. Because what I've seen with art is people get out of their supposed to self and they get out of their head and they get out of all that and they start using their right brain. Mm 
And uh, I had a room of 12 last week and some people were like, uh, Art, I don't know. I'm not sure. Uh, uh. And by the end, they're like, wow, I found this thing in me because it doesn't have to be anything. You know, you don't have to sell it. It's just expression. So um, I am so happy to have you on Boost Power mm-hmm. Podcast. Tell people how to find you because now I know lots of people are going to listen to this from all over the world. What is the best way for them to find you? Yes, you can always search Tasha L. Jones and social media channels, or you could just go to my website at lvjonesconsulting.com. There you go. Um, and so if you want to leave all the people listening with one kind of Tasha, you know, something to hold on to as they're in their journey, up, down, side, side, crisscross, e-ticket, strap yourself in, entrepreneur, let's go, right? In, mm-hmm. in a changing world in many ways, not only a global pandemic, but just so many ways with technology and, and so many things happening. What would you tell the listener today? I'll tell the listener about the most pivotal moment when I was 28, where I learned at the end of the day, I, Tasha L. Jones, I have a choice and I'm accountable. So I have a choice in where I choose to work. I have a choice in how I apply value and I'm accountable for making the most of it or just letting it like go to the wayside. And the quote that helped me have that breakthrough was when it's Maya Angelou. I tell everyone, if I ever get a chance to speak, I say this quote where she says, if you don't like your situation, change it. And if you can't change your situation, change your attitude. We are accountable in the life that we create and who we align ourselves with. And we have a choice in how tenacious we want to be in creating. For some of us, it's harder, right? I'm telling you, as a woman of color, I had to navigate a lot of, a, a lot of obstacles, but... I leaned in on choice and accountability and how I can create what is my destiny. Well, and lucky world, you be you, Tasha Jones, and the world the world benefits. And everyone listening, I just really hope you just take a minute and look into your own life. As I had flashback in my life, the time you've you've been the outsider, you have not been accepted, or or the world has told you something, but inside you have that choice. You have that choice to know you are perfect. Whoever you are, whoever your best you is, is exactly perfect. So go find the people, places, and things that stand with you and that uplift you and excite you and take the course or hire the consultant or be part of the movement or start the center to help the people you care about. Uh, Be the change, as Gandhi says, and I always try to be the change. You have been listening to an exceptionally special uh, show for me today because I've always wanted to have this time with Tasha and we really wanted to pick the time that was the time. I think I'm glad we waited because we could have done it many, many times, but today was the perfect time. Uh, Use these stories and ideas to influence your own thoughts and know you have those choices. You can make it through anything, but you have to know that you can. And you really see that in Tasha. And you probably actually can see that in me. Please share this podcast with anyone who can benefit from uplifting energies and ideas. We are on all the platforms and we are weekly. This is your host, Betsy Wiersma. Thank you for listening to Boost Power Podcast and plugging into stories from the journey of business and life. Our music today is by singer-songwriter Megan Burt. 
We are recorded at Cinder Sound Studios, and we're part of the Global Sisterhood Podcast Network, women who amplify their voices and are committed to inspiring all people with podcasts on purpose. Learn more at globalsisterhoodpodcastnetwork.com.